the media landscape in America is busted. Americans are on to the omissions, the half-truths, and the outright lies being propagated against we, the people. Your host, Tom Harris, will bring you the other side of the story. Developing a balanced perspective of what is currently happening in the Middle East between Israel and the Palestinians is impossible for people who don't know the history of the region. Who was there first? Who forced who out? What is the origin of Israel and Hamas, and how have they changed over the years? To help us understand this crucially important history, I'm joined by Joseph Benemy, former Director of Government Relations and Diplomatic Affairs for the Jewish Advocacy Group, B'nai B'rith. Joseph has been president of the Arthur Meehan Institute for Public Affairs, executive director of the Institute for Canadian Values, and has served on numerous organizational boards, including, and this one is especially relevant, the Advisory Board of Jews Against Anti-Christian Defamation. He was a former naval officer and policy aide to former Canadian Prime Minister Stephen Harper. So welcome back to the show, Joseph. I think this is at least your third interview. <laughs> Something like that, Tom, and I appreciate your having me on. Yeah, well, it's especially topical now, considering your background with B'nai B'rith. I'd like to start right at the very beginning, I guess going back thousands of years, because as I say, most people, including myself, don't have a good appreciation of the history of the region, history of Jews living in Palestine, that sort of thing. So what is the origin of the Jewish people? Well, for that, you have to really go back to biblical times. And the origin of the Jewish people, the fathers of the Jewish nation were Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Again, going back to biblical times, the land of Israel, which was then known as Canaan, was promised by God to Abraham and his descendants. You know, I'm, this is going to be a, a real real fast crash course. But, right. <laughs> uh, but if you know the story of Joseph and how the, uh, the Jews went down to Egypt during a famine, Joseph was a, uh, let's call him a viceroy of Egypt eventually, and uh, the Jews settled in Egypt and uh, became a very numerous minority, and then the story of Moses comes along. God says to Moses that he'd like him to lead the uh, nation of Israel out of Egypt and back to the land where they were obligated to settle, mm -hmm. which would be, you know, the land of Israel. So, of course, there's the ten plagues. The Jews leave Egypt. They wander in the desert for a number of complicated reasons for 40 years until they cross over the Jordan River because they had gone around south of the Dead Sea and uh, and so they entered the land of Israel from the east rather than the west and uh, engaged in, you know, I, let's not beat around the bush, a, a campaign of conquering, subjugating the various tribes that were there and establishing uh, a an independent state in that mm -hmm. land. That state lasted, I guess, about a one and a half thousand years with one interruption, a significant interruption, and that was when it was uh, conquered and occupied by the Babylonians, and then stay was reinstituted, and then it was conquered by the Romans, and but it remained a separate country, and then there, they rebelled against the Roman hierarchy. The Romans brutally put down the rebellion, 
and scattered much of the population, not the entire population of Jews, into various places in the known world at that time. Since then, there has been no state in that region. It's been subjugated by various different countries, different entities, uh, the Muslims, the Crusaders, the Byzantine Empire. Eventually, it came under the rule of the Ottoman Empire and remained under the rule of the Ottoman Empire for several hundred years until the last century. In World War I, the Ottoman Empire was an ally of uh, Germany, of the uh, central powers, and the uh, British uh, mounted a campaign against the Ottoman Empire in that region and uh, eventually ejected them from the land of Israel. From that point on, because there was no country, there was no infrastructure, there was no administrative infrastructure or anything like that, it had been ruled by the Turks out of the Ottoman Empire. And so the new League of, of Nations asked Great Britain to administer the territory until such a time as the inhabitants there were able to create their own independent state and administer themselves. So that was what was known as the British Mandate. After World War I, with the uh, ejection of the Ottoman Empire from all, in fact, the fall of the Ottoman Empire, the creation of the new state of Turkey, which was very, very small compared to the Ottoman Empire, and the, with the rise of the of Arab nationalism that was largely fostered by the British in order to obtain assistance in conquering the Ottomans, the Turks. So the French and the British carved out a number of countries. They carved out Saudi Arabia, and they carved out Iraq. They carved out Lebanon. Egypt was kind of a special case. But they didn't carve out a separate Jewish country in what is now Israel, because by that time, there were a lot of Jews living there, and there were, were a lot of Arabs that were moving into that area as well, as the economy developed, etc. And there was a, a lot of dispute as to you know whether or not it would be ruled by Jews or by Arabs, by Muslims. Let's just circle back for a brief second. There was never a country, Palestine, there was never anything like that. Palestinian was, was a, a Roman term that they started using in lieu of Judea as, as a means of trying to erase the Jewish presence from that particular area after having put down the rebellion in the first century of the Common Era. So the territory kind of became known as Palestine, fine, no problem. People who lived there, now this is really kind of an interesting point that people don't realize, is that both Jews and Arabs are actually Palestinians. Uh, I have a lot of friends and uh, uh, whose parents and grandparents who were born there prior to the independence, uh, the War of Independence in 1948, whose passports and birth certificates all all categorized them as Palestinian. So oh, wow. it didn't matter which you're, whether you're Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Arab, Jewish, whatever, you were Palestinian. The territory of Palestine also included Jordan. The British actually carved out the country of Jordan, which then was called Transjordan, because it was on the other side of the Jordan River, and made that a completely Arab country. Um, uh, and he gave it over to the Husseini family. The Husseini family, uh, I believe it was a Husseini family. Now, I, I stand to be corrected on that. But the Hashemites, who were not indigenous, indigenous to this region, it was just a reward 
for having supported the British in their war against the Ottomans. Same with the, the House of Saud, the Saudi uh, monarchy. They were princes in that region, religious leaders. And then after the war, this is the First World War, as a reward for having supported the rebellion or having fomented rebellion amongst the Arabs uh, against the Ottomans, the uh, the British carved out Saudi Arabia and put the House of Saud into the monarchy there. And the same thing oh. in uh, in Iraq. So these these countries were essentially created uh-huh. ironically by the colonial powers victorious colonial powers in Europe fast forward a little bit between world war 1 and world war 2 there was a lot of tension between the the Jewish community and the uh we'll call it the Jewish community and the Arab community even though they were all Palestinians you know we'll be brutally honest the disputes largely are were and continue to be religious not territorial or political and there, there's just the the Muslims in that region just did not, could not tolerate and still cannot tolerate a an independent Jewish entity or community in that region. After the British carved up the Ottoman Empire, what did they do with the region that is currently Israel again? Well, they continued to administer that under the man under a mandate granted by the the uh, League of Nations. So the, the, the League of Nations asked the British government to, to administer the territory because there was no administration there. There had been no country, and it had been ruled out of by the Ottoman Empire. So the, the British continued to administer the territory on the proviso that at some point in time they would withdraw and the community there would be able to take up the reins of its own administration. But the question now was, what do you do with this dispute between you know, uh, well, again, I'm calling Jews and Arabs, who were both Palestinians, but at that time there were a number of pogroms and massacres of Jews that were perpetrated oh. by the the uh, the Arab Muslim population. For instance, in Hebron, there was a, a very old Jewish community in Hebron that was essentially uh, wiped out in a, a, a mass pogrom in 1929. Uh, wow. And uh, so there were a number of these that went on. So there the fighting between Jews and Arabs, again, I use that term now, was going on at that time. Everybody wanted the British to leave, of course. And so both the Arabs and the Jews were pushing back against the British. The British were trying to keep the peace. And it became just a, a dog's breakfast. So eventually yeah. the British basically said, enough uh, after World War II, enough of this. Uh, there's clearly we this... The way that they described it in a number of reports was that the differences were irreconcilable and they didn't want to have anything to do with this anymore. So they threw the whole issue back over to the new United Nations, okay. which, which, which voted, uh, put together a partition plan, voted on the partition plan in 1947 uh, that was going to then carve up this sliver of land between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean into three territories, a a, a predominantly Arab territory, a predominantly Jewish territory, and Jerusalem, which was going to be neither Arab nor Jewish, but an open city, an international okay. city. Yeah. The, the, the Jewish council at that time under Ben-Gurion uh, accepted the partition plan. Unfortunately, the Arabs didn't. Uh, and, uh, and when the British... Uh, evacuated the uh, the mandate, uh, and uh, Israel declared its independence. 
uh, it was immediately attacked by uh, a, a number of Arab countries in an effort basically to wipe it out. Uh, fortunately, they were not successful. Uh, so this was 1947? 48. Now we're in 48. 48. And that was the first real war between Israel and their neighbors. Uh, the first actual official war, yes. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, so that really that really sums it up. The the uh, the Jews have been in this territory for literally now thousands of years, in varying degrees. Um, it was a pretty barren and, and neglected, a pretty barren and neglected region until the end of the nineteenth century. Mostly when when more Jews who were fleeing the uh, the pogroms and the violence that had been plaguing them in Eastern Europe, particularly. And uh, and they started to settle the land. And every piece of, this is important to remember as well, that every piece of land that the Jews settled uh, at that time was purchased in cash. It was There was no seizing of territory or pushing people off or anything like that. Um, and, and, and they were determined to reclaim the land. Uh, mm -hmm. And so they built an, an economy, essentially, and as the economy grew, so did the Jewish population and the Arab population, people coming quite naturally and sensibly, reasonably, for jobs and to make a mm -hmm. living. Um, and so that's that was where the Jewish community came and, and the Arab community came as well. And as I said already, anyone who was born at that time, between 1917 and in 1947, whether you were Jewish, Arab, Muslim, Christian, it didn't matter. If you were born there, you were a Palestinian. That's what your passport mm. said. That's what the birth certificate said. Yeah. So, so, so that's that's. So that's, was it then? Was it ahead. populated then from people all over the world who came back to Israel in 1948? Uh, no, no. the The majority of the Jews at that time who were in Israel were already we're already talking two and three generations of people coming back to settle. Now, after the war, um, uh, things were very bad for the Jews in the Arab countries, uh, and they were essentially ethnically cleansed out of the Arab countries. Mm. So when, when and I, I'm not saying this with any kind of rancor or anything like that, it's just a fact that most of the Jews, and this is really important for people to understand as well, most of the Jews who uh, are in Israel today, contrary to what the narrative has been, uh, and that the Jews got this state because of the Holocaust and the, the Jews went there after the Holocaust, that is categorically false. Mm. There, there were a number of Jews who settled in Israel after the Holocaust, but the vast majority of Jews at the, at the Declaration of Independence were not survivors of the Holocaust. They were the residents who were born there and had, they were born there for several generations already in many cases. Mm -hmm. And then, and then the main influx of Jews from outside of Israel into that land after the war and after the Declaration of Independence was not from Europe, it was from Arab countries and North Africa. Oh, and the, wow. So the Jews, so the, the Jews, the Jews who, who in 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 Israel, in the country of Israel, the majority of Jews who come who are in Israel today, are either come from Arab countries or they are descendants of people who came from Arab countries. 
Uh-huh. So it's, it's this false impression that that uh, that that the Jews in, in in Israel all come from Europe or European stock. That's that's just categorically false. And here's the other the other dirty little thing that I've got to say this with a smile on my face because uh-huh. it's kind of an interesting way of poking fun at everybody. But that the truth is that ethnically speaking, not not religiously speaking, but ethnically speaking, um, the the Jews who came from Arab countries and from North Africa, ethnically, were Arabs who happened yeah. to be Jewish. Uh, and so so now you don't go to Israel and speak to somebody whose family comes from Iraq and call them an Arab if they're Jewish. They're Jewish. Yeah. We're not Arabs. We're Jews. But yeah. the truth is, if you want to take the ethnicity, then then they're Arabs. Final point on this. Two final points. Yeah. yeah. The, 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 first, the first point is, there is no ethnic linguistic group Palestinian. The term Palestinian, as I said already, was just a geographical term. It happened to be whether you were Arabs or Jews or Muslim, Christian, if you happened to be born or living in that territory between the two world wars, you're, you were categorized as Palestinian because that was what the name of the place was. But there is no ethnic group Palestinian. When we talk about the Palestinian people, it's become a kind of a, of a thing that we go as a go-to sort of terminology that we use, Tom, in order to describe the people to so that they understand who we're talking about. But the real yeah, reality is that there is no real Palestinian people uh, per mm-hmm. se. And I'm not, by the way, saying that to diminish any claims that they might have or issues or anything like that. It's just It just happens to be a, a demographic fact. Mm-hmm. The other thing so I have. What 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 race would they be? <laughs> well, they're Arabs. Mm-hmm. But do they have a particular, you know, descendancy no. in in general? No. So they're not Arab Egyptians uh, of ancestry. Well, some, or... some might some might come from some might come from Egypt. Some mm-hmm. might have come. Some came from the the, the territories. Okay, that uh, when I say Egypt or Saudi Arabia or or Iraq or any of these places. I, 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 these countries didn't exist as independent entities at the time that people were moving into that region. So, yeah. so they would have originated there. But th- th- there's no such thing as an ethnic Saudi. There's no such thing as an ethnic Jordanian. Mm. Um, uh, they it just it's these are these are just we we use the term from a nationalistic point of view a a, a citizens point of view. Although there's never been a, a citizen a country Palestine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not we don't we don't use it in the it's be, it's taken on sort of the the character of an ethnicity, but it really isn't. It's it's not 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 at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I'm not saying that as a to to diminish anything that these guys might you know claim or want or anything like that. I have other disputes in that area, but ethnicity is not one. I'm not I'm not arguing. Well, you're. You're 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 not ethnically Palestinian, therefore you know you shouldn't. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. So I I guess when you're talking about Iranians, like my doctor is Iranian, or at least his right. origin there, they're Persian in contrast right. to Arab. That's so correct. there is different, there is those ethnicity. Yeah. So there's different ethnicities in that sense. You have Persians, and then you have Arabs. But Arabs right. would include everybody, I guess, Egyptians, uh, people who come from Lebanon, Syria, you know, all over that region, Iraq. Pretty, Pretty much, you know, unless unless you, you're ethnically Turk or ethnically Kurdish, 
Mm-hmm. Okay, there are ethnic groups, but but you're not wrong. If uh, a, a a born and bred Lebanese is the same ethnicity as a born and bred Egyptian. Mm, okay, now that's kind of interesting. So you went starting with Moses when the Egyptians actually before Moses when the the Jewish people came into Egypt. Why did they go into Egypt anyway? Okay, so the reason was because there was a famine in the uh, land where they were, which was mm-hmm. the land of Ca- Ca- Canaan, Canaan, um, uh, uh, and uh, and so they migrated to Egypt because the famine wasn't as bad in Egypt as it was there. Yeah, um, and that was more than no... three, more than three thousand years ago. Yeah, about thirty five hundred years ago, thereabouts. Oh, okay, wow. Now here's so the how... thing. Let me just interrupt because there is one other yeah. po- important point on uh, before we get too too far down that rabbit hole. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've given you I've given you quite an extensive, rapid, but extensive you know snapshot of of the history. Uh, but I'm, I'm usually when it comes to the dispute that we're talking about now between Israel and and and, and Hamas and the ongoing Israel Palestinian Arab uh, again. You see, I even I use that term now. Um, uh, disputes, etc. It's really I'm 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 usually reluctant to rely on the history to make a point or to make a case. It's interesting, uh-huh. but in the final analysis, okay, uh, whatever whatever happened between 1917 and 1948, or whatever happened in 1948, uh, 1949 during the War of Independence, for good or bad, right or wrong. That's in that's in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wasn't there. I didn't do it to anybody, and and quite frankly, very few people are left alive today that had anything done to them. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's really you know we can argue the history until the cows come home, but at some point in time you have to deal with the facts on the ground, the practical realities today. And so this is why I'm you know we can make a strong historical case. I can certainly make a strong legal case, but in the final analysis, if there's ever going to be a solution to anything, and I have very strong views on that, but any solution that there will be has to deal with the reality on the ground today. You can't turn the clock back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. and that is, that, that's, that's an important <laughs> thing to remember as well when we talk about the, uh, and oh, you can see me because we're doing the on Zoom, even though we're your listeners are listening to the audio of the podcast right now, but the, the, I'm giving the air quotes to the piece. Oh post. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I, yeah. I interrupted you there. But. No, no, that's pretty amazing. And you know, one of the things I find that Western civilization seems to do quite well is we can turn the, turn the page in many cases. My dad, for example, fought against Japanese and only, I think it was 28 years later, I was in the Navy uh, in the Pacific, doing exercises with the Japanese as allies, so sure. we are able to turn the page. And of course, Germany is now a close ally as well, and so is Italy. But it appears that many of the Arabs, in particular, are still thinking about what went on in previous generations, and they're still angry about that. So, is that part of the origin of the conflict in the Middle East that they can't let go of history that occurred before they were even born? Yeah, I, I mean that's a part of it, but the the reality is that look, you you don't have to love your neighbor in order to not 
have a war with them. Right. Okay. So, so nobody is saying that everybody has to love each other and can't we all get along and kumbaya and all that stuff. Let's stop fighting. Let's just stop fighting. And that's, that's, that's it. And we'll come to some sort of an agreement on where we're going to draw lines and things like that and, and live with it. The problem is that that's, that's a very doable thing. But the people who are in control of the apparatus of power, particularly when it comes to the Palestinians, again, there I go using that term, but that's the term that we have to use today, whether we like it or either, whether it's ethnically accurate or not. So if I want to talk about the Palestinians, the people who are in control of the apparatus of power, okay, uh, are they, it's the issue for them is not where do we draw the border? The issue for them is that they have not reconciled themselves to the fact that there is a Jewish independent state in the heart of the Muslim world. Yeah. That's the, that's, that's the reality. Um, and, and so this is why I do the air quotes when I refer to the peace processes, because particularly in the international community, particularly in, in the West, indulges this fantasy that there's some compromise that can be arrived at some middle ground on which you could construct some negotiation and reach a peace agreement and that everybody's going to be satisfied. Um, and, and we like to think that at some point in time, uh, we'll reach that, that goal. Forget about the peace agreement. We'll reach the point in time where we're actually able to sit across a table from somebody and have a, a real negotiation. But that simply doesn't exist now. Because groups like Hamas are are ideologically committed to the elimination of of any vestige of Jewish statehood uh, in in that territory. Mm-hmm. Hence, you get this ter- things like people warding around, marching from from the river to the sea, which would be from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. In other words, no Jewish state. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, you know, people in the West, it's very hard for them to grasp that there are still lots of people in this world who just harbor these kind of, of religious, uh, dare I use the term bigotry, mm-hmm. um, uh, and, and, and that it can actually be a significant, if not decisive factor in determining what policy is. For, for whole countries. Um, and that's a failing of, of us on the in the Western world, is we tend, I'm not just referring now to the Middle East, but we tend to look at the world through the prism of our own experiences and our own feelings, and we think that people think like we do. Mm-hmm. When, when in fact that is not the case, and in fact that approach to foreign policy can be very dangerous, because you 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 read into you make assumptions about people and about countries out there and groups um, uh, that are are rational. You assume a certain rationality according to our definition of what is and isn't rational. But other people don't necessarily share those same views. They don't share the same values. And so it's perfectly rational and reasonable for for Hamas to perpetrate the kinds of crimes that it perpetrates uh, because they see this as a perfectly legitimate thing to do. 
they uh-huh. believe it's they believe they're right and we're not arguing about where the borders are okay we're not this is not what the dispute is about it doesn't matter where you draw the line okay we have not reached the stage yet in the frankly in the muslim world at least in that segment of it where you can draw a line a and assuming the population that you're 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 on top of doesn't rise up and assassinate you like they did to uh, Sadat, um, and uh, you know which is a, that's a very real concern. And yeah, most of these yeah. most of these guys are not; they're just not interested. They may take mm-hmm. something, but it, it's only temporary. And Gaza is a perfect example of that. When Israel withdrew from Gaza in 2005, that was supposed to be a catalyst for kickstarting the peace process which, process, which had stalled already. And what happened? We ended up with almost immediately rockets being fired over at civilian population, terrorist attacks. You know, what the fighting that's going on now is, I think it's the sixth, fifth or sixth major engagement between uh, Israel and Hamas in Gaza since that withdrawal in 2005. Wow. You got to hold that thought because we have to go for a break. Stay tuned. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system becomes less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. The buildup of spike proteins is dangerous to your health. Global Healing's Foreign Protein Cleanse detoxes your body, removing the spike proteins, allowing your body to repair from within. Formulated by Dr. Edward Group and by Dr. Brian Artis, Foreign Protein Cleanse targets and detoxes spike proteins in the body. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code out loud, global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Oral hygiene hasn't changed in 50 years, but our diet and the way we eat has. 
creating an environment in your mouth for bacteria to wreak havoc on your teeth and gums. For better oral health, get Spry Dental Defense, an oral care line designed to combat acid-creating bacteria. The toothpaste, mouthwash, mints, and gum all contain xylitol, a natural ingredient shown to dramatically improve oral health. Spry can be found online and at all fine natural retailers. Well, the out loud truth was the rallying call that started it all. AmericaOutloud.news was an idea, a movement, a place where folks would feel comfortable speaking the truth without being censored or canceled. The First Amendment is alive and well. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. So I'm back with Joseph Benemy, my guest. He's the former director of government relations and diplomatic affairs for the Jewish advocacy group B'nai B'rith. And we've been talking about the situation in the Middle East with the so-called Palestinians, with, as Joseph explained, is more a description of people that live in a region than any particular race or country, for that matter. So, Joseph, stepping back at this, what would you say is the right solution to the current situation? Because, you know, I'm a, a bit afraid that what with what's going on, it's going to make more Hamases, you know, and that people will be even more radicalized. It, unless something very new is done. So what would you do if you were the president of Israel and you had control? Because, of course, he doesn't have control over what's a lot of what's going on either. But what would you think is the ideal solution? Well, just focusing on Gaza for the time being, Israel is engaged in a war right now against Hamas. They, uh, they up until this point, have demonstrated their determination to not relent in making war against Hamas, and I say that only because we're right now in a period of discussions around a ceasefire for exchange of hostages, which I personally, uh, I'm not entirely sure that I, I support, but, um, you know, Israel's a democracy and, uh, and the government makes its decisions and it's accountable to the people there. But I would say that you have to... Um, you have to destroy Hamas. You have to look at, at the, the historical context. I think the, the best historical analogy that I could see uh, is, is how we dealt with uh, Germany uh, during and after World War II. Um, mm -hmm. And Winston Churchill was, was I think, quite prescient. He, he understood that the difference, the... Uh, matter in dispute between the democracies and National Socialist Germany was not territorial and it was not political. It was the ideology of the Nazis and the character of the people who were leading that movement and who were in control in Germany at the time, and that there was no peace possible without their removal from power, period, full stop. And he, you know, didn't mean mince word when he talked about, um, uh, um, uh, about destroying utterly the Nazi regime. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that is what the Allies did. Following the war, okay, they established a, uh, a number of commission, control commissions and bodies that oversaw every aspect of civil, 
uh, administration in Germany. And they undertook a campaign of what we'll call denazification. If you were a, a, a significant person in your local Nazi party, you were drummed out of public service. You couldn't, you couldn't serve in the public service anymore. Mm-hmm. You couldn't teach. The Allies controlled education. They controlled the radios. They controlled the news services. They controlled the newspapers. Um, they ensured that the, uh, the corrupt ideology of the Nazis and the hate-filled ideology of the Nazis was not being um, reconstituted, reinvigorated, uh, reinjected into the population. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so I could see where that we should really be doing the same thing in, with Gaza. Um, the Hamas should be destroyed. Period. Full stop. Utterly yeah. destroyed. Mm-hmm. The the leaders of Hamas, if it was up to me, um, uh, I would find a way that they would stand trial for those who were caught, who were captured. Because, you know, I hate the term terrorist organization because Hamas is a criminal organization that mm-hmm. happens to be in control of that territory. Terrorism gives you this sort of nebulous, you know, okay, what are their legal status, etc. No, 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 they're criminal thugs. It's like the mafia has taken over New York City. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and the mafia taking over New York City, they still have to pick up the garbage, they still have to to plow those streets in the winter time, okay, and they and they still have and Hamas does this kind of administrative stuff, but that doesn't diminish their criminality, and they're involved in a lot of criminal activities around the world in order to fund what they've done. Mm-hmm. You know, the leader of Hamas, Ismail Haniyeh, doesn't even live in Gaza. Yeah, he's a billionaire, he lives right? In a palace. He's not. He's a billionaire, and he lives in a palace in Qatar. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now, where do you think that money came from? I can tell you, mm. not to incite your listeners, but a yeah. significant portion of that money was misappropriated from tax dollars that your listeners and my people here in Canada pay to the United Nations in order to provide some sort of assistance to Palestinian refugees who are the only people in the world who are characterized as refugees four and five generations after whatever happened, happened. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and so, so, and we have refugee camps. I've gotten a little off topic, but refugee camps, I I had a, a breakfast this morning with somebody here in Ottawa and they were talking about refugee camps and I just couldn't take it anymore. I said, you know, there are no refugee camps in, in Gaza. And they said, well, yeah, that's what they look at the news. And I'm going, no, they call them refugee camps, but they're cities. They're, they're small, they're towns with apartment buildings and office buildings and swimming pools and, mm-hmm. and, and shopping centers. And, you know, these are not refugee camps where people are sitting, living in tents and trailers, okay? And, mm-hmm. and, and, and you're a refugee because your great-grandfather was a refugee? It's only the Palestinians who enjoy that status. Every other refugee in the world that's come under the auspices of the United Nations has been resettled. And we are talking tens of millions of Mm -hmm. refugees around the world. And there's a high commission for refugees uh, that the United Nations. And then there's the special one, UNRWA, which deals only with the Palestinians. And I can tell you again how much of that money that's in the bank accounts for some of the leaders of Hamas 
how much of that actually originates um, uh, by with taxes from mm-hmm. from your listeners and, and and people here in Canada as well. So we're paying for so, the billionaire leader of the Hamas movement, part, part, <laughs> partly in, in addition to you know weapons and and all of this stuff. So th- these are the kinds of things that go on. What what would be you destroy Hamas, you put its leaders on trial, okay, um, uh, and you and you cr- create some sort of an occupation force that is going to really clamp down and run the place properly uh, for it could be four years, five years, six years. I don't know. But the other thing to remember about Gaza is it's an extremely small territory. Mm-hmm. Gaza is is uh, I, I stand to be corrected, but I think it's around four hundred and fifty square miles. So it's smaller than the complete city of Ottawa, isn't it's that right? It's smaller than the complete city of Ottawa. That's correct. Huh. Um, and uh, this this territory could be turned into a successful, prop- prosperous microstate. Mm-hmm. Like Monaco, or Liechtenstein, or Andorra. Nobody knows about Andorra, by the way. Oh, I do, because they were the first. They were the first to have three-dimensional postage stamps. Okay, and, so you and, see, you... and, and I have them. <laughs> and, and you see, you're on top of things, Tom. But you know, when I when I say Andorra, people look and go, Andorra? What's Andorra? But Andorra <laughs> is a successful, prosperous, independent microstate. Okay, in in um, in in Europe. There's nothing stopping Gaza from being this. Well, especially since they just announced they just announced that they've discovered huge volumes of oil and natural gas in Gaza. Sure. Uh, Well, it's just off the coast in the uh, uh, on. But yeah, you're right. And 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 interestingly enough, uh, the there have been on again, off again talks uh, amongst the uh, Israelis um, and uh, representatives of the Palestinians. Including Hamas uh, in Egypt and Cyprus uh, uh, for years now on the best way to exploit that particular thing, and one of the chief impediments to actually making progress um, has been the dispute between the Palestinian Authority, which is not a whole lot better than Hamas, but they are better. I'll give them credit where it's due. The Palestinian Authority under Mahmoud Abbas and the and Hamas, which is running Gaza. And mm-hmm. and who 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 will have the right to um, have the uh, revenues that are generated from uh, the uh, extraction of natural gas from the the gas field off of uh, off of Gaza? Mm-hmm. So all of these things going on, but it all comes down to this. Okay, it's you you can't. People think that you have to have peace in order to have stability, and that's absolutely the opposite, Tom. You have to have stability and order in order oh, to yeah. establish peace. Yeah, exactly. Okay? And, yeah, and so, you can't you can't keep them in charge in any way. For example, after World War II, there wasn't sort of a underlying theme that we could oh we can have some Nazis there and they can be in charge of maybe Berlin or we didn't want to have any period and we wanted to eradicate erase all of their influence and all the education system and everything else. And it strikes yeah. me that that is crucially important in the case of um, Palestine, you know, what they're calling Palestine and Gaza, because they're teaching the next generation to continue the fights of previous generations. So, I mean, yeah, I think you do have to get rid of all of their influence. Now, the question then becomes, 
who should do it? Should be Israel or the UN or or a group of countries? Well, like, who would you I'll say should you, do it? Uh, I'll I'll tell you. I I don't. I think that Israel has to have a seat at the table, but I don't think that the Israelis are the right people to do it. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I I I absolutely don't believe that the United Nations should be doing it either. Mm. And let me give you a quick example of that. Okay, in 1978. Um, in response to continuous terrorist attacks across the Lebanese border from South Lebanon, the PLO had established itself in, in South Lebanon after being ejected from uh, Jordan, by the way, uh, mm. in the late 1970s or in early 1970s. Now, well, so why they, were they ejected? They, is is you know I've been hearing that Palestinians in general, and of course it's not the correct term really, but that they've gone to other countries, assassinated leaders you know, fostered revolution, caused a lot of troubles. And that might be one of the reasons that many of the Arab countries don't want to take in millions of them. Well, this is the, this, this was the case in the early seventies in Jordan. Um, uh, they, they, they established their own group. Um, they, uh, they were trying to establish a, a quasi sort of a pseudo state in Jordan. Uh, they were fomenting uh, upres- unrest. And finally, the king uh, uh, said, uh, enough, sent the army in and uh, w- wiped out thousands and thousands and shoved everybody else out of the country. And oh. at that time, it's very interesting because at that time, a lot of the people that were suffering, with it, that wounded in that, ended up coming and being treated in Israeli hospitals because they couldn't mm. get treatment in, uh, in Jordanian hospitals. Anyway, mm. the, the PLO reestablished itself, established itself then, its quasi-state, in South Lebanon, and then re- resumed its terrorist att- attacks against uh, Israel now from Lebanon. So, 1978, the Israelis invaded South Lebanon um, uh, in order to stop this from happening, uh, and they they crushed the PLO in that small region. Yeah, and then the international community said, "Well, you know, that's bad, bad. You know, we need to have peace. We need to have a ceasefire." So, the Israelis agreed to a ceasefire on the condition that the international community would prevent the reconstitution of the PLO in South Lebanon. Hence, the United Nations created the United Nations Interim Force in Lebanon, also known as UNIFIL. The UN is mm-hmm. very good at acronyms, I'm sure you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was in 1978. UNIFIL has been there since. They're still there now. And, and just to give you an idea, uh, the PLO immediately reconstituted itself and resumed its terrorist attacks, leading to the Israeli invasion in 1982 of South Lebanon. This time, they did get rid of the PLO, um, had them trapped in Beirut, and then the international community stepped in and said, oh, no, you know, legitimate voice of the Palestinian people can't just wipe them out. So the Israelis said, okay, fine, we will agree to them leaving Lebanon altogether. So they went off to set up a place in the camps in, in Tunisia, of all places. Uh-huh. Uh, and and uh, so there was a power vacuum in South Lebanon, and the United Nations was supposed to, to prevent anything from happening there uh, with the direct involvement of the Americans and the French. Now enter Hezbollah, because now Iran has become, at that time, was now starting to flex its muscles on the international scene. They create a proxy group called Hezbollah. Hezbollah sets up camp in southern Lebanon. They uh, perpetrate a couple of suicide bombings against the, the Americans and the French in 1983. 
Um, and uh, the Americans and the French promptly pack up their troubles in their old kit bags and smiled, <laughs> smiled, smiled on the way back home, um, uh -huh. leaving the United Nations Unifil there to fill the gap, which, of course, they didn't do. And so we have now Hezbollah doing exactly the same thing that PLO did at the time. And then, of course, there was the, uh, the uh, I believe it was 2005 or 2006 war again in South Lebanon. And again, the international community stepping in and saying, oh, you know, we have to have a ceasefire. Civilian casualties, which is true. Mm -hmm. I don't, uh, you know. Um, uh, but but the United Nations has been, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Universally. Complicit? complicit? <laughs> I don't want to say complicit. I, I, I just say, let's just say, um, ad abjectly in, inefficient, ineffective uh, in anything that they have ever done in the Middle East. <laughs> I don't want them anywhere near this file. Uh -huh, okay. Uh -huh. Listen, the United Nations runs the schools. Yeah. In Gaza. They're not, it's, there's no Gaza Board of Education. Most of those schools are run by the United Nations through their aid, the refugee agency dedicated strictly to the Palestinian refugees called UNRWA. Um, and, and so your tax dollars fund and some of the most hateful, hateful, propaganda that you can imagine being taught to these children if that's yeah, not I, a crime if that's yeah. not a crime the poisoning of these young minds yeah uh, i i was reading some time ago that in some cases in schools in that region they were actually having plays in which the children acted out killing jews and this was like part of their school i mean it's, it's insane so so the question then becomes who should lead the process should you have well, some sort of a coalition I, I believe that that's what should happen. Um, uh, I, I know that there there's talk going on right now about what's going to happen afterwards. Um, uh, uh, but I'm I'm a little distressed. I have to confess to you at this point in time, anyway, because uh, what I'm what I'm what I think is is emerging is a a consensus that Israel will probably take that role on, and I just don't think that it's I don't think Israel is the right country to take that role on. I think that, and I don't think the Americans are either. I, 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 I was hoping to see some sort of a, a coalition involving France and Germany and, and maybe the UK um, mm. uh, or, or maybe, you know, Poland or whatever. I think the Germans might be amenable to it, but I, I don't know. I'm just, that's just idle speculation on my part. I don't, I don't have any, anything to, to, to base that on other than, you know, I just don't think the Israelis should do it. And I, I don't think the Americans should do it either. I, who I do you that, think? Who do you think will do it? Who do you think will administer? Um, I'm, I'm that sad. Region? To say, I'm sad to say that I I don't think anyone will step forward. Huh? wow! So it could just I, end I up wish, like I wish I was wrong, and maybe I will. Maybe I am wrong, but at this point in time, I I don't see a lot of appetite to step forward, and uh, you know, which which just leads me to say, okay, well, if you're not going to come in and help fix the problem, then you know, shut up and let the Israelis do what they have to do. Uh -huh. um, you know, it's a, it's a, a brutal approach. But... Is it possible that it'll become like Somalia, where there's no central government and that it's just ruled by warlords? No, no, no not, not, not anymore. Not anymore. Uh -huh. The Israelis will not let that happen. Yeah, well, that's good to hear. You know, one of the things I find especially tragic is the, you know, average Palestinian, if you can use that term, 
who's not responsible, who's not a member of Hamas, who just happens to be living there and is subjected to all the incredible hardships that, uh, you know, I mean, is there some way that the Palestinian people could have gotten rid of Hamas? Because it sounds to me like they're a curse to the average person there who's just trying to live a decent life. Well, you know, and 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 look at how the Germans supported Adolf Hitler right to the very bitter end. Yeah, uh, but was that know, because you, they didn't have a choice? Because, you know, it's interesting, when I was a graduate student at McMaster, the technician who worked on, in the wind tunnel with me, he actually was in the German army. And he told us that they hated Hitler, but they couldn't do anything because their family was at risk, etc. So surely there must be Palestinians who are not brainwashed, who actually don't like Hamas. And, and I, I could tell you, absolutely there are um uh, and and i have conversations official and unofficial with a number of these on an ongoing basis groups um who are very upset by the situation and have been for years and and they come to people like me um uh, pleading for our governments to do something about it but the, the it's it's like the, there's there's a, a some sort of a brain cramp that our, our governments here in the West, they're, they're just so caught up in this, the ephemera, the, 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 the idea of a peace process and having conferences, et cetera. And, uh, you know, I call them the diplomatic dandies of the United Nations, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Gosh, if only, if only we could come together and solve this problem. And so, and, and, you know, the, the, again, the irony is that when the international community isn't isn't pushing the issue, um, and 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 we're not facing the kind of attacks that were coming from Hamas that we saw in uh, early October of this year. Yeah, and you there know, Joseph, actually, sorry, sorry, a... sorry, sorry to interrupt, but you realize they're still firing rockets at Israel even now. Yes, yeah, no, I, I knew that. Sure. Uh -huh. So, so there is, but the point I'm making is that there, that interestingly enough, when you talk about say Jerusalem. And around Jerusalem, so there is a there is a, a, a modus vivendi that's emerged, and 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 my, you know, maybe it's wishful thinking, Tom, but my my thinking on this has always been, just let people live, make the best that they can make of their lives, and if and when the time comes that they have to formalize whatever the status quo is, then they'll be ready to do it. But right now, nobody's ready to do it. Huh. Certainly not yeah. on the Arab side, and and you know there's 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 history here on the Israeli side too, and and you know there there are the 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 borders, the population issues, and that they are complicated, um, and and so it's going to take some hard decisions on the part of everybody to uh, to reach an agreement, but it's important to understand that. The lack of agreement on any of those issues is not the causes belly, as they say, right? It's not. Mm -hmm. It's not what we're fighting about. Mm -hmm. it's, this is those. Those are issues that you could push off to the side. There, the the issue in dispute right now, and has been for a long time, is whether or not the leadership in the Arab world, particularly insofar as the Palestinian Arabs are concerned will reconcile themselves to the fact that there is an independent Jewish state in the heart of the Muslim world. It's mm -hmm. a religious thing. It's it's not a political thing. It's not a, a borders. It's not territorial. 
It's religious. And until that changes, everything else is just, it's just background noise. Yeah, yeah. Well, we have to wrap up there, unfortunately. This is an incredibly complicated topic. We now have a lot better understanding than we did an hour ago. So thanks so much for being on my show, Joseph. My pleasure. Anytime, Tom, you know that. Yeah, well, for sure. We'll have to continue this. So my guest today has been Joseph Benemy, former director of government relations and diplomatic affairs for the Jewish advocacy group B'nai B'rith. And the interesting thing, he was also on the advisory board of Jews Against Anti-Christian Defamation. So it's wonderful to see that Christians are standing up for the Jews as well. So again, Joseph, it's been great having you on. So this is Tom Harrison, my guest, Joseph Benemy, signing out from the other side of the story. Thank you.